All right, all right. Yeah, it's truly the, the Christmas season because, as you can tell, there's lots of folks that are, I don't know that there's a lot of people that are, that are traveling. Uh, there's a lot of sickness. I want you to pray for me. I'm dealing with some sickness myself <clears throat> this, this morning. But uh, if you are, if you're visiting with us for the first time here at City of Hope, we're so thankful that you're here. And, and I, I do believe that, a God, that God has a word to minister to you. And, and, and I just want you to be able to, to get into receive mode and, and allow God to minister to you right, right where you're at. Because I believe he's going to do that. But before we get into the message, I want to just uh, make two uh, uh, an- announcements here. Uh, but before I do that, I want to say uh, thank you very much to uh, Clay and Andrea for all the hard work that they uh, put into our core team banquet. I mean, they, they worked, uh, amen, <laughs> they worked <laughs> extremely hard at, at trying to uh, prepare everything, put everything together, get the food, the gifts, the games, everything. I mean, they uh, they worked extremely hard, and I'm very thankful for them and appreciate all their hard work. Um, um, also, um, Sister Pat just shared a, a, a story with me. As many of you know, that we we were uh, we purchased some some gifts for uh, our adopted school uh, local outreach here at, uh, in Manchester at, at Paces Creek Elementary. And she said there was a, a, a second grader, a little second grader, a little girl that had been walking around school, and uh, the clothes that she had was was too small. So she was, you know, she came up to, to Sister Pat and said, you know, I'm believing, you know, that that I'll be able to get some some new pants for, uh, you know, for for Christmas. And um, uh, once the the group took the, the gifts out last week to them, she uh, was wearing her new pants, and she said uh, she came up to Sister Pat. She said, Granny Pat, she said, I just want to thank you so much, so much for these pants. I, I needed these pants so bad. And uh, she said, she said, honey, she said, I didn't get those uh, for you. She said, the church got them for you. And she said, I could just well up and cry for uh, just uh, seeing the difference that you make. So, I mean, amen. For those of you that uh, went out of your way to, uh, to purchase those gifts and do that for a child, I want you to know something. The Lord's looking down and he's smiling over that. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand for that. <clears throat> Also, uh, Shannon and Alex got some incredible news this week that they're going to be having baby number two coming up. And, and for those of you that uh, don't know their story, they, they struggled with infertility for seven years. And, uh, you know, the whole time believing God for, uh, for a miracle. And, and so long, uh, uh, not too long ago, along came Harper. And, and now I think this baby is supposed to be due uh, on Harper's birthday. Is, is, is that right around the same time? So that's, that's awesome. You couldn't smack the smile off his face with a brick. But, uh, but, but we congratulate them. And, and I want to mention one last thing, and, and that is, of course, you know, we've been doing this Daring Faith campaign since, uh, since around June. And, and this past month, this is what your uh, financial giving has helped to do. We were able to help uh, purchase chairs for a brand new church plant in Columbia, Missouri, uh, for, for Pastor Josh Palmer. And uh, you, you just can't imagine how, how, how much that meant to them. So, you know, we're able to help them. He said, we're believing that God would give us a new soul for every chair that was purchased. And so uh, for so long, what this man would do in his, in his, in his uh, church, they would go in, they would have church in a, in a, a hotel uh, conference room. Every, every Sunday, they would have to set every single thing up. They would have to tear every single thing down. 
and then pack it up and take it out every single week. And so they were finally able to uh, uh, locate a place uh, that they could lease, and, and they didn't have anything. So you're able to do that. And the other thing that we were able to do was we were able to uh, give toward the paying off of a, of a church property of a local, uh, a lo- local ministry here, actually in uh, Jackson Breathed area, and uh, they were able to pay off $67,000 uh, for 8.9 acres of, of property in a three-year period of time. And I just got news, and he said, uh, uh, Pastor Scott Kilburn, he, he, he sent his, uh, his uh, thank yous to everyone for their help. And you know, you know I understand what it's like to uh, start something from scratch. I know how big of a struggle that, you know, that it is, and to, to try to have finances to do uh, certain things, but I also know what it's like to have somebody come alongside you and just be an encouragement and a blessing to you because there's so many times that you feel alone and you wonder if anybody actually believes in the dreams that uh, and the visions that God has given you and, and then along comes somebody that, that, that you didn't really necessarily expect to, uh, to do something for you that ends up uh, being such a tremendous blessing because it's one thing to believe in the vision uh, that God's given you for yourself. It's another thing to have people to come alongside you that says, you know what, I believe in you, I believe in the vision God's given you, and I believe that God's going to use your church to, to help transform communities. Amen? So those are some things that, uh, uh, that, that your daring faith pledges and contributions are starting to make happen along with uh, you know, our first scholarship. But anyways, we'll give another uh, update here uh, toward the end of this month as we get closer to, to daring faith, which will be here on uh, uh, December the 31st, Pastor Mark Huff from River of Life Fellowship in London. I'm one of the overseers in his church. Great man, so make plans to be here. I know, again, I know it's holidays. School just got out, and folks are traveling. They're, a lot of them are on vacation. A lot of them are, are gone out of town. But, but make plans to be here. I promise you, he'll be a tremendous blessing to you. Amen? I mean, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for that. <clears throat> but if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and turn to uh, Isaiah chapter number 9. Uh, Isaiah chapter number 9, and I want you to hold your place there and turn over to the book of Luke chapter number 2. We've been doing this series, uh, a new sermon series on the wonder of Christmas, and we, we started out by talking about the danger of Christmas, and, and we shared some things about how during the, the, the holiday season, during the month of December in, in reality in, in America, you know, things become so busy, it's easy to lose Jesus in the midst of all of the busyness that goes on. And uh, we talked about how that church attendance tends to uh, decline, how financial giving begins to, to, to decrease, and, and, and it's almost like during this season we can get so caught up in gift giving and, and, and shopping and, and preparing meals and traveling that, that, that in the midst of everything that's going on, we totally forget the reason for the season. And, and I know that that's not intentional, but, but I want you to guard the fact that, you know, listen, when we're talking about the birth of Jesus, we're talking about the single most significant event in human history. And so we're celebrating that, and we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but not just the birth of Jesus. We're celebrating the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, because without that, salvation wouldn't be possible. And then last week, we talked about the miracle of Christmas, and we talked about the miracle of 
of the virgin birth. We talked about the, the, the miracle of, of God being becoming a man, the incarnation. Uh, we, we talked about how that, that is so doctrinally important that, that when we consider the Christmas story, there are some essential things that we have to hold on to because in our day and time, you know, we're losing the, the reality that there, are such, there is such a thing as absolute truth. You know, in our culture today, we, we have a lot of people that believe that, that truth is relative. That in other words, that truth, something that's true to you, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be true to somebody else. Well, I mean, there are some non-essential things that, that, that are, are not necessarily important for us to, to agree upon, but there are some essential things that we have to agree upon and hold tightly. Otherwise, we will lose them, and in the midst of that, become castaways and, and abandoned and then depart from the faith. So the, the miracle of Christmas, uh, when we talked about that, we want to hold on to that. And today, we're going to talk about the peace of Christmas. We're going to talk about the peace of Christmas. So in Isaiah chapter number 9, we're going to read verse 6, and then we're going to uh, flip over to Luke chapter number 2, and we're going to start reading at verse number 8. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is is given. What, what this statement is, is, is saying about the birth of Messiah is that, number one, for unto us a child is born. That's talking about the humanity of Jesus. That's important for you to understand that Jesus is, 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 is God and Jesus is man. He's fully God and he's fully man. He will forever be God and man, the God-man. And then it says this, unto us a son is given. That's talking about his deity, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his kingdom and peace there will be no end. Now turn over to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. Starting in verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country... Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The, the NIV says that I bring you Good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, that's, that, that's the message uh, of Christmas. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to gather together as a church family and worship you and to hear your word. We're thankful for the word of God and the power that it has to transform our lives. We're thankful for the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. We're thankful that he, his name is, is the Prince of Peace. And one of the reasons he came is to bring peace to our lives and 
in this world. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are without peace today, those that are in need of peace, that you, Prince of Peace, would be made manifest in our lives and in this place that we may walk away experiencing the peace of Christmas. For, Lord, if we do not have Christmas in our hearts, we will never find it in a gift under a tree. You are that gift, and we celebrate that gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, one of the names that was given to our Lord in, in Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse 6 was the, the Prince of Peace. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds that were tending their flocks by night in, in Luke chapter number 2, which we just got their reading, the angel declared, For unto you this day is born a Savior which is Christ the Lord, born in the, the city of David. And you shall find him, and this will be a sign to you, that this babe shall be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill toward all men. Now, Jesus himself spoke about peace. Jesus said in John chapter 14, in verse number 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. That's important for you to understand. He has left peace for us. But then he says, My peace I give to you. It's one thing for him to leave something for us. It's another thing for him to give something to us. He said, Not as the world gives, but as I give unto you. So, you know, we, we see that Isaiah prophesied about peace. We see the angel uh, proclaimed a peace. We see that Jesus come to provide peace. And yet in this season, particularly this season, there's so many people that are living without it. There's so many people that, that are burdened, that are overwhelmed, that are concerned, that are, are downtrodden, that are discouraged, that are, are fearful, that, that are discouraged, uh, on and on and on. There's, there's so many things. And so we see that, that peace has been prophesied, that peace has been proclaimed, peace has been promised. Promised and peace has been provided, and, and yet there's so many people that do not possess it. And so today I believe God wants you to be able to, to take hold of that and experience that and receive that and then walk out of here with the peace of God that, that is going to help sustain you through the, the difficulties of the things that, that you're going through. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the subject of peace. As a matter of fact, there's 790 verses in the Bible concerning the subject of peace. And because I want you to get this, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to break down all 790 verses during our service this morning. Just kidding. But, but, but I want you to get this, but when you take all 790 verses and you uh, summarize them, you can actually break them down into three different categories. Now, this is not in your outline, but I would encourage you to, to write these down. Now, now, when you take 790 verses, you, you, you summarize them. These are the three categories that, that you can break down. Number one, first of all, there is eternal peace. There is eternal peace. And that is simply peace with God. Number two, there is internal peace. And that is the peace of God, or that's peace with me, peace with ourselves. And then there's external peace, and that is uh, peace with others. And peace, we could call it relational 
peace. You know, there is, there is internal, there's eternal peace, there is internal peace, and there is external peace. And, and, and for all of us in here, we, we will find that we need peace in our lives in one of those three categories. Now, there's three things I want to share with you this morning concerning the three kinds of peace that Jesus came to give us. Now, number one, and then go ahead and go to the, the, the first slide. The, the first kind of peace that Jesus came to give us is peace with God. The first kind of peace that Jesus came to give us is peace with God. This is what we would call spiritual peace. This is what we would call eternal peace. This is the most important kind of peace that, that any of us can, can, can actually expect uh, uh, to, to, to have or, or, or need or possess in our life. E- eternal peace. Without eternal peace, without peace with God, there is no other peace. Now, why do I know that's true? Because the Bible says that there is no peace for the wicked says the Lord. And so we, we have to understand Jesus came to provide peace with God. One of the reasons that Jesus came and was born, not just born, but was, was, was nailed to a cross, died, and was raised again on the third day. One of the reasons why that, that, that this happened is so that he could make peace with God a possibility to all men. Now, that's good news. Now, the word we would use to describe peace with God is the word reconciliation. Now, what does reconciliation mean? Reconciliation is actually the restoration of a relationship that's been broken. And so when we're talking about peace with God, we've got to go all the way back to uh, the book of Genesis and, and examine what happened back in the garden. You know, see, that's exactly what took place when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. Uh, our relationship with God was broken. And so once that was broken, there had to be someone, uh, God had to do something because now, as a result of sin, our sin had separated us from God. Now, when you study the condition of, of, of man's status before God in the eyes of God, prior to being born again, prior to having our sins forgiven, the Bible uses some very, very strong language, some very, very stern language. You know, the, David wrote in Psalms chapter 51, verse 5, he said that I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, David was saying, you know what? All of us are born sinners. And as a result of being born a sinner, we commit sin. And then Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, verse 2, he said, as a result of that sin, he said, your sins have separated you from God. So we find out that all of mankind, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl born into the world is born a sinner, born with a sinful nature and commits sin. The problem with that is that once we commit sin, we are separated eternally from God. And then Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he said, the ultimate consequence of our sin is death. He said, the wages of sin is death. And I mentioned this last week. Have you ever noticed that, that 10 out of 10 people die? That the mortality rate is hovering around uh, 100%? 
You know, the, the writer of Hebrews wrote, he said, it's appointed once for the man to die, and then after that comes what? The, the judgment. And then Peter writes some, some terrifying uh, words in First Peter chapter 2. He said that if God did not spare the world, but delivered it up for judgment. And he said, and if God did not spare a third of the angels, but deliver them up for judgment. And if God did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, for those that reject him, he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So, I mean, those are some strong, strong words. And so when we're talking about peace with God, the first thing we have to understand is the condition of our soul before God. You know, salvation and reconciliation is not something that you do. It's something that has been done already for you. It's important for you that it's, to know that, that, that it's not God and your good works that get you to heaven. It's not God and your giving. It's not God and your church attendance. It's not God and your church membership. It's not God and, and water baptism. It's nothing that you can do to add. The cross shows us the impossibility this side of heaven for man to be made right with God. And so when we're talking about Reconciliation. This is not something that is done to us. This is something that has been done for us. And so one of the reasons Jesus came was he came to reconcile us back to God. Now here's what the Bible goes on to say. Now prior to salvation, it says that because we've committed sin, it says number one, it says that we were enemies of God. We were not friends of God. We were not children of God. Now, God didn't create anybody that he desires to send, send to hell, and God didn't create anybody that, that he did not love. But because God is holy and man is not, either we will allow Jesus to pay for our sins or we will pay for our sins ourselves throughout eternity in a place called hell. And so the Bible says that we were enemies of God. It says that we were alienated from God. It says that we were walking under the wrath of God. And then it says this. It says we were actually children of the devil. That is my condition. That is your condition. That is the world's condition standing before God at the foot of the cross without Jesus Christ having paid our sins. Now, that, that's what has happened. That's what the Bible tells us. But that's also what makes the birth of Jesus so significant. You know, that, that's why the angel proclaimed in, in, in Luke chapter number 2, he says, For born unto you this day is a Savior in the city of David, which is Christ the Lord. In other words, what this angel was proclaiming is that salvation has now come. And because of the birth of this child, the life of this child, the death of this child, and the resurrection of this child, God has made reconciliation possible to every man. Now that is great news. Great news. And that's why he went on to say, he said, you know what? He said, don't be afraid, for I've come to bring you good 
good news that will bring great joy for all people. And so when we're looking at what Jesus came, the, the kind of peace that Jesus came to provide for us, the first kind of peace is peace with God. Now, that's important for us to get. Now, look at what these scriptures say here. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when we're considering the birth of Jesus, we see that one of his main missions was to come to bring peace. First of all, peace with God. In other words, he's come to reconcile us so that we can have peace with God. Because before that, we were hostile toward God. We were enemies of God. We were alienated from God. We were children of the devil. We were under the wrath. And so listen, this, the Christmas message and the peace that, that Jesus comes to offer us is Peace with God. Now, in that same chapter, on down in verse number 18, the Apostle Paul writes, Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So, look, something happens. God took the initiative. You know, it it wasn't man, and that's what I love about the Bible. Every other religion in the world is man's pursuit of God. But Christianity is the exact opposite. Christianity is not man's pursuit of God. Christianity is God's pursuit of man. It was Jesus that left heaven, came to earth, lived among us, died for us, was raised from the dead so that we could be reconciled back to God. Listen, man would forever be lost had God not took the initiative. And so we see that it was, it was that man had come, or Jesus had come, so that man could be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I love what Ephesians chapter number 2 uh, says about uh, Jesus being our peace. It says, but now through the blood of Jesus, those who were far off, those who were far away, have now been brought near By the blood of Jesus, for he himself has become our peace. For he himself is our peace. I love that. I don't know about you, but before I got saved, I was far from God. And the truth is, I don't care how good a person you've been. I don't care if you've been raised in church. I don't care if if you are a good moral person If you have not repented of your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, made him Lord of your life, you are just as far away from God as I was. Listen, there's no good people in heaven, and there's no bad people in heaven. There's only saved ones. And the truth is, that's what the cross teaches us. The cross makes everything a level playing field. Either we're saved or we're lost. Either we are the Lord's or we are the devil's. Either we're on our way to heaven or we're on our way to hell. But thanks be to God, this Christmas season, we can celebrate the peace Jesus came to give us, which is, number one, peace with God. Some of you, that's what you need. Some of you, you have to be awakened to the reality that this is your condition. And until you recognize that your condition before God, you will never value what Jesus has done for you. Well, some people say, well, you know what? I can't ever remember doing anything bad. I've always been raised in church. Well, either, either that's true. You know, you may not have, have remembered that. 
But, but the truth is, the Bible says that if you have kept all of God's commandments and have broken just one of them, you're guilty of breaking them all. What's God's standard for, uh, for, for salvation? Moral perfection in thought, word, and deed. If it were possible for any other way for man to be saved, it would have been no need for him to come and die. But, number one, Jesus come to give us peace with God. Here's the second thing. The second kind of peace Jesus came to give us is peace with me. Number one, he, he came to give us peace with God. Number two, he came to give us peace for me or the peace of God. Now listen to this. Did you know that 86% of adults consider themselves a warrior? 86%. Did you know the average person worries about an hour and 50 minutes every single day? Imagine if people could turn that worry into prayer, what kind of a prayer life they'd actually have. But you know, in America, you know, statistics say that because people are such chronic worriers, that worry is the number one mental disorder of all people in America, costing the U.S. government over $42 billion dollars. A year. Worry. Fear. Anxiety. All those things. It's an epidemic. It's almost an addiction. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, it, it, to worry is to be natural. You know, I mean, it, it's human nature to worry. That's why you've got to get into the Bible. The Bible is not natural. The Bible is supernatural. You know, and you need supernatural power working in your life or you'll never overcome worry. You'll never walk in victory over fear and anxiety and depression and, and all of that stuff that keeps you mentally tormented until you have God to supernaturally touch your mind. The Bible says that we are not, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you are so consumed with fear and worry and, and anxiety and apprehension simply because you never spend consistent time in the only book that can change that for you. You have to spend time in God's Word. It says, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed. And you know, me, I say, well, I don't like to read, or I don't get anything out of, of reading. I don't come, you know, understand it. Well, you know, the truth is, there's two times to read the Bible, when you want to and when you don't want to. Unless you want to spend the rest of your life living in worry and fear, anxiety, and being overwhelmed mentally and emotionally, until you get into this book, you will constantly be conformed back to that same kind of bondage over and over and over again for the rest of your life. But Jesus didn't come for you to be that way. Over and over again, he says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. But yet, we are chronic worriers, addicted to worrying. I mean, how many of you have personally benefited from sitting back and worrying about stuff every day? Has it produced one positive thing in your life? Has it, has it affected you in a negative way? You know, has it affected you emotionally? <laughs> has it affected you mentally? 
Has it affected your relationships? Has it affected your attitude? Has it affected the way that you look at life? I guarantee you. But the problem is this. You think that it's always going to be that way. And the reason you think that is because you're not in the book. You're not in the book. The Bible says that a spiritual mind is life and peace. But a carnal mind is death. You know, a spiritual mind is life and peace. And you're not supposed to have a tormented mind. The Bible says that we are to have a renewed mind. It says we're to have a transformed mind. It says that we are to have a spiritual mind. It says that we are to have the mind of Christ. Now, I mean, I go on a lot of missions trips. I mean, I've traveled in some bad areas, and I have people all the time say, you know what, listen, don't that concern you? Don't that, you know, don't you get scared? Walter don't get scared. Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. I just just called him out right there. He did one time when we were crossing the South Sudan board, but I won't talk about that this morning. I won't mention about how we walked across... And then a guy demanded that we give us his passport, and you got scared. I won't say nothing else. I told him, I said, look, that guy can take anything he want, but he is not getting my passport. Tell him I said no. No in Sudanese is no. (laughs) Translate no for him. And Walter Dawn was like, don't do that. Anyways, get a little sidetracked there. But anyways, when we're talking about the peace of God, you know, we have to realize we got a problem with worrying. Do you have a problem with worrying? Are you a worrier? I can promise you that's not God's will for your life. If you are a chronic worrier, I promise you come to the right service this morning. I believe God wants to minister to you in that area. I'm going to show you how in, in, in just a moment. But... You know, the second kind of peace Jesus came to give us is the peace of God. Peace with God, number one, and the peace of God, number two. Now, make no mistake about it. You will not have any of the peace of God until you, first of all, make peace with God. You don't qualify for the peace of God if you don't surrender to the place of where you experience peace with God. How do you do that? Well, the first thing you do is you acknowledge you need it. The next thing you do is you realize that you cannot have it outside the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And the third thing you've got to do is that you've got to repent of everything that you have believed wrongly and you have done wrongly and simply say, Lord, you know what your word says? Your word says that, that, that I, through faith in you that I have been reconciled to God. And then you, receive, you just have to receive it and walk in that. It's not through works. It is, it is a gift from God. So he comes to give peace of God as, as a gift from God. Here's what Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says. It says, let the peace of God rule where at. Now notice where the Bible says that this kind of peace is located. Where's it located at? Internally. Internally. You know, the peace that, 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 that we're needing is peace of mind, peace in our heart, peace in our emotions. In other words, if you do not have, this is the kind of feel-good peace. Now, I'm not saying that you should walk around, you know, bouncing off the walls all the time. But when you have the peace of God, you don't allow circumstances to dictate the quality of your life. So many people, if things go wrong, 
or things don't turn out the way that they had hoped them to, uh, or if, if, if things become uh, overwhelming to them, they will surrender the peace of God to the feelings and the thoughts of the circumstances of what if. If you live your life and base your life on the what ifs, you are going to be a miserable person for the rest of your life. Why? Because there's no such thing as a problem-free life. If you're waiting for every problem to be solved, if you're waiting for everything to be fixed and for everything to work out before you're going to have peace of mind, I can promise you, welcome to the rest of your life. It's not going to get any better for you than this. But don't you want better? Don't you really, really want to change? Haven't you suffered enough? Haven't you been miserable long enough? Haven't you allowed your emotions to control you long enough? Hasn't worry punished you and tormented you? Hasn't fear uh, punished you? and tor- Hasn't these things affected you and afflicted you so much that you're tired of being that way? If you are tired of being that way, the good news of Christmas is he came to bring peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. Do you have it? Are you walking in or are you allowing the circumstances to determine the quality of your life? Now, look at what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. Well, that's a problem. Because we're addicted to worry. We pray honestly, let's just be real. Most of us pray without truly believing that God's going to answer or do anything whatsoever. We just repeat repetitive religious rhetoric, right? We just, we've heard people pray this prayer before. We don't engage our hearts. We don't engage our minds. We don't approach God with faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible says that, that anybody that, that, that comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He says, if any man lacks, uh, lacks wisdom, then ask of God, who will give it liberally. And then it says, if that man believes and doesn't doubt in his heart, he'll receive what he asked for. But it also says that, you know what, if you come to God with doubt, then that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. The reason why... We don't see effective prayers being answered or we don't see the importance and the significance of prayer. It's because we don't approach God with the right attitude. We don't approach God with the right mindset. We don't have the peace of God. We pray out of sheer emotion, which the majority of the time is negative. Amen? You know, we pray like the little girl, you know, that, that was not necessarily sorry for her sins, but she was sorry that she got caught. And so she prayed. She said, Lord, I pray that you make me good, but not too good. Just, just make me feel better about myself. Now, that's really, we don't want to change, do we? Because we like to worry. We, we like to be overwhelmed. We like to be stressed out. Why? Because we can justify our bad attitude. Buddy, I am preaching better than you amen in this morning. So we feel justified to be upset. We have a right, bless God, to be miserable. You're right. You got a right to go to hell too. But he gave us all a free moral will. He gives us freedom of choice, right? So you can choose. Well, do I have a right to have a bad attitude? You sure do. 
Well, do I have a right to be overwhelmed? You sure do. My question, how's that working out for you? Are you happy with the results? Are you happy with the outcome? Most people have been so stuck in that kind of mindset for so long that you've surrendered your life to it. And say, you know what? It's never going to change. Could be because we don't necessarily believe God. So Jesus come to give us peace with God. He came to give us the peace of God. He says, but be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, let our request be made known unto God. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds by Christ Jesus. I love this. Where again is it located? Where did Jesus come to bring us peace or to give us peace? Internally. He came to give it eternally. He come to give us peace internally, in our hearts, in our minds, in our emotions. And some of you, you are so desperate for that. And even though you amen me and you believe what I'm saying, you also believe that it's too good to be true for you. But I believe that that's why God gave me this message. I believe that's why God brought me here this morning to share it with you. I believe that's why you're here this morning. God has peace for you. If you will pursue it. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, He will keep those in perfect peace whose minds are stayed upon him, for he trusts in him. I love that. He says, I will keep you in perfect peace. Now, notice he didn't say anything about circumstances there. See, when you're going through the storm, sometimes God will calm the storm. And then sometimes God will calm his child in the midst of the storm. The difference is what you are focused on. See, what you're focused on determines how you feel. What you focus on gets bigger. That's why it says, you know, whatever it is you're dealing with, don't be worried about it. Don't be anxious about it. He says, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. He says, once you do that, there's a prerequisite. It's conditional. The peace of God, he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all knowledge will guard your heart and mind by Christ Jesus. Then the truth is, we skip that first part and we just claim the peace of God. It's not the way that it works. You don't get verse 7 without verse 6. And so that's an important part of it. Now, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, we see that Jesus, this is not in your notes, we see that Jesus uh, comes for, for another reason. He says in verse 79, he says, that he will guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, that's important. Now, I want, to, I want you to get this, okay? This is extremely important because, again, you know, when, when, when we walk in the peace of God, then we have to understand that, that, that we have to guard it, that we have to focus on the things that, that, that release that into our lives, and that we can lose it as well. And so, one of the reasons why the Bible says that Jesus came so is to guide our feet into the way of peace. And if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? And if he came, for one of the reasons he came was to guide our feet in the way of peace, and yet we do not have peace, is it safe to say that we could, we could, we could say that, that maybe we're just not walking as close to God as we should? Are you with me? If he's the Prince of Peace, is he the Prince of Peace? If he came to, to cause our feet, to, to, to guide our feet in the way of peace, but yet that peace escapes us, 
Could it be that maybe we're not nearly as close to God as we think we are? Could it be that our relationship with God is distant? Could it be that we might need to get closer to God for Him to guide our feet? You see, that's why the devil, you know, a lot of his attacks are specifically directed at stealing our peace first. Why? Why does he want to do that? Because if, if he can get us anxious and cause us to worry and to be fearful, at the very least, what he's able to do is to push us far away from the will of God. Is the will of God for us to walk in peace? What did Luke 179 say? I've come to guide your feet in the way of what? If you are not walking in peace, it could be because you're not walking in the will of God. I paused for an amen, but it didn't come. And so the devil tax our peace. We surrender that peace to him. And then he pushes us far away from the will of God. And I know a lot of Christians that are driven more by their fear, their worry, their circumstances, and the fears and anxieties of their heart more than they are the Spirit of God himself. Are you one of them? What about you? What is driving you? What drove you this week? Did you spend more time in peace, or did you worry more than you had peace? Understand, it's an attack from the devil. He's trying to steal you. He's trying to push you away from walking in the way of peace. Because Jesus came, who is the Prince of Peace, to cause our feet to walk and be guided in the way of peace. And if we're not walking in the way of peace, then we're walking out of the will of God. So God wants to bring us back in. He wants us to experience the peace of God. Now, here's the third thing, and I'm finishing. The third kind of peace that, that, that Jesus came to give us is peace with others. We have peace with God, peace with me, and peace with others. We have eternal peace. We have internal peace. We have external peace. That's the third kind of peace. Now, this is important. I love this. We can actually, what we can say, this is called relational peace. In other words, this is peace in our relationships. Now listen, the further you get away from God, the worse our relationships are with those we're closest to. The further we are away from God, the worse our relationship with others. I try to tell Rachel this all the time. If you just get closer in God, if you just get closer to God, we wouldn't fight like we do sometimes. <sighs> Some of these men, they're just goofy. Oh, she's back there. I thought she was in the nursery, man. So if you want to strengthen your relationship with your husband or wife, guess what you need to do? Get closer to God. If you want to strengthen your relationship with your children, guess what you need to do? Talk to me. What do you need to do? 
If a church family, it works for churches as well. If a church wants to grow relationally with one another, guess what we need to do? We need to get closer to God. Now, now look what this verse says. It says, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Listen, churches are, are some of the most hostile places that you can come. And everybody said, why? Because people are there. And people are not walking with God as close as they should be. And because we're not work walking with God as close as we should be, there's a lot of hostility. Because our vertical relationship with God determines the quality of our horizontal relationship with others. Let me say that again. Our vertical relationship with God determines the quality of our horizontal relationship with others. Listen, when, when we're not walking as close to God as we should be, guess what happens? We become more moody. We become more hateful. We get angry easier. We lose our temper. We, we get our feelings hurt. We get easily offended. And the only reason why that happens is because we're not walking close to God. Man, I'm telling you, this is a word from God. Listen, if, if you are easily angered, if you are easily overwhelmed, if you are controlled by your emotions, you are not walking close enough to God. And it's not that hard. It's a lot easier than what people think. You know, it, it's not like you have to do something that is beyond your ability. He said, you know what, if you draw near to me, guess what God will do? But he does not initiate that. He said, that's your responsibility. He said, you first draw near to God. And if you draw near to God, guess what he will do? He will draw near to you. And so when we're not walking close to God, we become more irritable, we become more hateful, we become more moody, we get our feelings hurt, we get easily offended. And the problem is, we don't allow what Jesus did on the cross to put an end to the hostility of what's happening in our relationships. This works for marriage. This works for ministry. It works for church. It works across all Scopes and spheres of relationship. When you walk close to God, you become more like Him. How many of you pray to become like Jesus? Well, Jesus was a man of sorrows. I wonder what that means. Jesus was betrayed by His brethren. Right? Jesus was crucified by the very people he came to save. You sure you want to be like Jesus? Because here, here's the truth. If we're going to become like Jesus, then one of us is going to have to change. And I promise you it's not going to be him. Now again, I'm not talking about perfection. But what the peace of God does for us is it makes it possible to live with peace with others. The problem is this. We say things um, just off the cuff, and we really don't mean it like, I love you, or my church family. But yet, as soon as something happens that we don't like, 
or somebody does us wrong, which I don't know what kind of expectations you came to church with, but I found out something. Christians are just people too. Amen. And Jesus said, woe unto you. He said, for offensives must come to everybody. In other words, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to get offended. Question is, if you let that offense manifest itself in your heart to the point to where you are controlled by bitterness, anger, and pain. Matter of fact, Jesus, the things that Jesus said was offensive. You ever been offended by Jesus? He said something in John chapter 6 that was so offensive. The Bible says many of his disciples withdrew from him and walked with him no more. And they looked at me and said, does this offend you? Well, it's quiet in this church this morning, but it's all good. I guess you're listening good, right? Now, here's the problem. I'm going to close and go ahead and come to music. The Bible says these were the, this is the greatest commandment. What is it? That you should love the Lord your God with all your what? Mind and strength. And the second one is like it. What does he say there? That you should love your as your, well, who's your neighbor? Well, just look beside you. Start there. But the problem is this. We get, or we try to put number two before number one, when the truth is you can't separate any of them, he said, you know what? This is the greatest, but the second one's just like it. In other words, he says, if you are not loving God first, if you are not loving God most, if you are not loving others out of the overflow of your love for God, then you're not going to love people well. Why? Because our love is weak. Our love is pathetic. Our love is just, it, it, it's, it's fleshly. And you know what? You, you can't do it in your own strength. But the wonderful thing about Jesus, the Bible says that, that the love of God is spread abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. It's possible to love more. And it's possible to love better. And if we can do better, then we should do better, right? But it all hinges upon our vertical relationship with God. So let me ask you a question. How close do you think you really are walking with God? I'm not saying you have to be like me. But, but this, is, this helps me keep things in perspective. I'd rather assume that I'm not walking as close to God as I should be and then actually find out that I am, than just to assume that I'm walking as close to God as I should be and find out that I'm not. The easiest way to determine whether you're walking close with God or not is what is controlling your life, peace or fear, peace or worry, peace or anxiety. He says this, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden and you will find rest for yourselves some of you you need rest in your mind your emotions in your physical body and that's normal but the prerequisite to receiving all of that is 
walking close to God. You know, I was reading this week a story about a, a British naval officer who was named Lord Nelson. And England was at war with the French, and England had actually defeated the French. And there was a French admiral that came to meet Lord Nelson to officially surrender. And so this French admiral, what he did is he walks into the place where Lord Nelson's at, and he is fully dressed in all of his regalia. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he is decked out. He's looking sharp. You know, he's got all of his medals up here. He's got his hat on right. I mean, he's got creases in his pants. I mean, he's got it together. But he's coming to Lord Nelson, who is the commander of the army that had just defeated his, his nation for the purpose of dignity, uh, dignity to surrender in a, or to surrender in a dignified way and to make things official. And so what happened was when this French admiral approached Lord Nelson, Lord Nelson glanced and looked and saw on the side of the French leader, he saw a bright, shiny metal sword. And so the the French leader came up to Lord Nelson and he, and he comes up and, and he, he bows down and he sticks out his hand to shake his hand as an official act of surrender. And so all of a sudden, Lord Nelson, he steps back, puts his hand behind his, hands behind his back and looks at the French admiral and says, your sword. Lay down your sword at my feet before you approach me to shake my hand. See, a lot of us, you know, we're just like this French Navy Admiral. We come to Jesus looking for peace with a sword in our hand. Well, what kind of sword, Don? The sword of anger. The sword of bitterness. The sword of fear. The sword of worry. The sword of discouragement. The sword of unforgiveness. The, the sword of doubt. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, my child, your sword, lay it down. Lay it down at my feet. Because the truth is, there'll be no peace until you totally surrender the thing that is robbing you of your peace. You can't be right with Christ and wrong with Christians. Jesus said, if you have any alt or problem with a brother or sister and you come to the altar and pray, he said, you know what? 
Don't even pray. Leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. Now, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And not all relationships need to be reconciled. For example, if, if there is a, a husband that has abused and continued to abuse his wife, and there's no change, she doesn't need to be reconciled back to him. But she does have to forgive him. She does have to let him go. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you laid your sword down? Have you laid down the very thing? Because the truth is, the peace that you're so desperately needing this morning is just on the other side of your total surrender. And the Bible says, and that he has made peace for us through his blood that was shed on the cross. Stand with me. My question to you this morning is, where do you need peace in your life this Christmas? Do you need it eternally with God? Do you need it internally in your mind and emotions? Do you need the peace of God? Do you need it externally? Do you need relational peace? Regardless of whatever kind of peace that you are in need of, I can promise you it will not be accessible to you until you lay down your sword and stop being the captain of your own life. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, Father, this morning I sent your presence. I believe you've sent your word today. And your word has been penetrating deep within our hearts. And Lord, I sense and I know that there's those that are here that are overwhelmed, that are worried and consumed by anxiety. Some deal with depression, some deal with discouragement, some deal with anger and bitterness and torment mentally, emotionally, spiritually. God, we're a mess. And Lord, you sent your word today to, to cause a, a line, to, to separate us, to divide between us, Lord, those things which we cannot have until we let down and lay down our sword. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you are needing the peace of God and it is escaping your grasp, you have to lay down your sword. You have to totally surrender. And I'm not going to beg or plead or try to twist your arm. But if you are in need of peace this morning, I want you to get out of your seat and come up here and find you a place in this altar. I believe that in your surrender, you are going to experience a supernatural peace in the area of your need. Get out of your seat right now. And I want you to come as they sing and as they play. Don't, do not, listen, if you hear his voice, he said, do not harden your hearts, but come to him. If you need it, I want you to come. Eternal peace, internal peace, external peace. Father, in Jesus' name, we lay down our swords. We lay down the sword of offense. We lay down the sword of unforgiveness. We lay down the sword of disappointment. We lay it down in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.